My son is a Rams fan. And so after the Super Bowl, I called him up to congratulate him on the win. And he said, you know, the team's been working on this all year. Winning the Super Bowl was the end game. In Revelation chapter 7, God reveals his end game. He will show us the end game several times throughout the book, but it's here in chapter 7. And chapter 7 is part of a greater vision that actually begins in chapter 4. So it begins with the scroll. The scroll is the plan of God. It's sealed. It has seven seals. No one's worthy to open that scroll, but the lamb who was slain by his death, he has made himself worthy. And then each seal is removed, and we begin to see what these seals represent. Now, the Lamb will begin to assert his kingdom. He'll invade the kingdoms of the earth. And wherever the kingdom of the Lamb confronts the kingdoms of the earth, there are going to be these seals of judgment. There's going to be these actions taking place. So let's go to the next slide. If you remember, the vision started off with four horsemen the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, the yellow horse. Mike Jaderson preached about those horses. And then in chapter, and then the, the fifth seal was that there was going to be a whole lot of martyrs. And then when the sixth seal was opened, there was going to be an earthquake and trembling on the earth and signs in the heavens. When we get to the seventh seal, there's going to be seven trumpets. But between the sixth seal and the seventh seal, there's an interlude in chapter seven that has four angels, a multitude is sealed, multitude is washed. So we're going to read about that interlude today in chapter seven. Revelation chapter seven, verses one through 14. After this, that's the sixth seal, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this, I looked, 
And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's the reading. Now let's try to understand it. The book of Revelation will use numbers that signify various things. Four is the number of nature. There's the four winds, the four corners of the earth, the four living creatures represent animate creation. There's four angels holding back destructive forces from the earth. And they cannot unleash this destructive force on the earth until the servants of God are sealed. Now, sealed means ownership. You know, if I put my seal on something, it means I own it. The scroll has God's seal on it. It's his. And now the servants are going to be sealed. The Apostle Paul in his epistles say that believers in Jesus are sealed. They're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then John hears the number of those who are sealed. He doesn't see it He only hears it, and he hears that it's 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, maybe you've heard that number, 144,000. If you were a Jehovah Witness, you would believe that 144,000 are the number of people going to heaven. That's it. If you're into dispensational theology, they're going to say that these 144,000 are ethnic Jews that are specially anointed to be witnesses at the end of the age. But 144,000 is another way of saying a really big number. It's also symbolic. Now remember, there's 24 elders, which represent the 12 tribes, and the 12 apostles, ethnic believing Jews, and a Gentile church together. They are the people of God. 12 times 12 tells you Jew and Gentile together. Times 10 means it's big. Times 10 means it's really big. Times 10 again means it's really, really big. This is a a big number. But God knows the exact number. Last week we heard that there were going to be martyrs killed. And the martyrs cry out, God, how long are you going to take before you avenge us? And God says, just be patient. 
until the full number of those who are going to be killed are killed. There's a a number. We don't know what it is, but God knows. There's also a number of people who will be saved and sealed. And it's really, really big. Now John hears this number. He hears that they have something to do with the 12 tribes of Israel. So now, who are these tribes? Well, the list of tribes that we normally see in the Old Testament is different than the list we see here in Revelation. Let's go ahead and put up. So, on that side are the Old Test- is the Old Testament list. So whenever the sons of Israel, the sons of Jacob are listed, they always start with the birth order. Reuben's the oldest, then Simeon, then Levi, then Judah, and then down the list. And with Benjamin, who's the youngest. But here in the book of Revelation, we're going to see the list in a different order. And you know, you don't normally mess with the list in its order. But John does. Or he doesn't mess with it. God changes it. The first one is Judah. Why? The lion is from the tribe of Judah. The lamb is from the tribe of Judah. He's preeminent one. You go down the list, it's not necessarily in birth order. You'll notice Dan is missing. Dan was an idolatrous tribe from the very beginning, always getting messed up with idolatry. There are no idolaters in this list. And then replacing Dan is Manasseh, who's not a son of Jacob. He's a son of Joseph, born to a a foreign wife, an Egyptian mother, born in a foreign land that isn't the physical land of Canaan. And at the end of Jacob or Israel's life, he adopts Manasseh as his own son. What John is telling us is that there is an adopted people among this list of Israelites who is not from Canaan, but adopted and from a land far away. I think John is telling us that the new Israel includes an adopted people. These people are together with Messiah-believing Jews. They make up the people of God now, and there's a whole lot of them. Well, now John has heard the number, but now he's going to turn and see them. That's in verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Who are the 144,000? They're people from every people group and language. They're worshiping the Lamb. And so John is being given a vision of the end game. It's a vision that's been spoken of throughout Scripture. Abraham is told, from you will come an offspring who will bless all nations. 
Daniel saw a vision, a prophecy, and he says, there before me was someone who looked like the Son of Man. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, power, and all peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. Here is the end game. The plan of God from the beginning of time has been working towards this, to redeem for himself a people from every ethnicity, every people group, every language who will worship him for his grace. And it's grace because they don't deserve it. And it's grace because he will heap blessing upon blessing upon him, and they will realize it, and they will say, we will worship the Almighty who is on the throne and the Lamb. That's the end game. Verse 10 says, they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We're going to be saying that, so let's just practice, right? We'll be saying it, let's practice it. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And now the worship continues in verse 11, and I want you to picture it. All the angels were standing around the throne. The choir sang about it. Earlier, John gives us a number. 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000. Don't do the math. It's another way of saying there's a lot of them. And then there's 24 elders. And then there's four loving creatures. And then there's all those saints from all the different peoples of the earth. Picture their different clothing, their colors, their languages. All of them are before the throne. And now they're saying something too. Let's put those up on the screen, and we're going to say this too. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, we're told that all these saints actually have white robes. And uh, this represents that they're clothed in righteousness. And then John is told who they are. They, they come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their clothes in the blood of the Lamb, and that's what has made them white. Their sin is atoned for. It's gone. Now, you who trust in Christ, you are among this number. You're chosen. You're washed. When you're washed, there's no stain on you anymore. You're clothed in righteousness. That's how God sees you. And then you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, marking you as God's. This is who you are all the time, whether you think you're good or whether you think you're not. This is who you are. And now we're going to come to this word. These are they who came out of the great tribulation. Heard that before? Does this passage say how long it is? No. 
Does it say when it happens? No. In fact, the only other place where this word appears in the Greek is in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. Here's what John says. I, John, your brother and companion in the philipsis, which is tribulation, same word that appears in chapter 7, so let me read it another way. I, John, your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John is saying, I'm going through a tribulation. He's written to churches who have been persecuted and people have been killed. They've gone through a tribulation. He's also writing to churches and he warns them, you're going to be persecuted. They're going to go through a tribulation. The people of God have always gone through tribulation. Tribulation happens wherever the kingdom of the Lamb confronts the kingdoms of this world. And where that clash occurs, there is tribulation. Remember the Daniel series? Daniel had a dream, dream about a big statue that represented the kingdoms of the earth. A rock hits the statue in the feet, the statue is destroyed, the kingdoms of earth are destroyed, and then that rock keeps growing and becomes a mountain, which is the eternal kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Lamb, slams up against the kingdoms of the earth, there is tribulation. Now, unfortunately, the saints live through times of tribulation. But they have the Spirit, they are sealed, their souls are kept. Now, I think there will be one final great tribulation before Jesus comes back. Daniel certainly says there will be a time of distress and tribulation unlike any other time on earth before the Son of Man um, redeems the earth. Revelation will hint at it. But in the meantime, there's going to be many tribulations on the earth that the people of God will have to suffer through. And we have to be prepared to endure not only calamity, but attacks against our faith and pressure that would cause us to walk away from the Lord and from his church. The true church has to be ready to suffer, and the church in America has not had to. We've had a friendly government that's been a friend of Christianity. But I sense in my spirit that a time of tribulation is coming to our nation as well. We have to be ready to endure. We have to be ready to take ridicule, stand up for our faith, know why we believe, perhaps even suffer natural calamity because this is what God brings against kingdoms that oppose him. 
Those four horsemen that represented conquest and bloodshed and famine and plague and economic collapse, those are judgments that the Lamb brings against kingdoms that oppose him. The church in America doesn't know what it's like to suffer, but we have to be ready to do so. Also, this passage is showing us that God has an end game and that we are part of it. He doesn't choose you, wash you, and seal you so that you can sit around until you die and go to heaven. He's chosen you, washed you, and sealed you so that you're part of the plan to bring all nations to himself. Eastminster, on its best day, does not exist for itself. On our best day, we exist for the city and for the nations. But all people may know him and worship him for his grace. And because God has a missional heart, I want you to have a missional heart. When I write down my goals for, that, for this church, one of them is to give our people a missional heart. I'm hoping today's sermon does a little bit of that to show you what God's up to and that we can be a part of it. But I really think the way to get a missional heart is to have a firsthand experience with mission. That might be that you go on a trip and, uh, or stay here in Wichita and minister the gospel. So we have an opportunity to serve the Oaks Church with a VBS. In October of 22, we're going to take a team to East Africa. I'm leaving for Spain in uh, three weeks to, mis- to do mission among North African refugees. Another thing you can do is when a missionary comes to town, Learn about a missionary. Let them receive your prayers and your support. Uh, The the nations are right here in Wichita, right? They're right here. You gave to the Toe Shack Project during Christmas. Those Toe Shacks are being given out even now with the love of Christ. And then there are people who live all around you because the nations also include people who are from Kansas. They're being bunged at multitude and You want to be sharing the good news with them. Wherever we are, we can be part of what God is doing. We can be part of this end game. And that is to bring to himself a people who will worship him for his grace. All of history, all of church history is aimed towards that end. Sean McVeigh, the coach of the Super Bowl winning Rams, said that from the first day of training camp, his players were told, you were recruited and constructed to win the Super Bowl. He can say, mission accomplished. 
But what if some of the players on the first day of training camp said, hey, coach, when I was in Pop Warner football, my mom told me that being part of a team was just about fun. I'm here to have a good time. Well, I don't think that team would have won the Super Bowl. God has chosen a saved a people with an end game in mind. You have been chosen and washed and sealed to be his. Not to be entertained in a church, but to be part of a church that is part of God's plan. And we are such a church. Are you ready to join the team and get the mission done?